Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Today's episode is brought to you by KeepKey, the easy, safe, and simple way to protect your Bitcoin, Ether, Litecoin, and many other digital assets. There's no time like the present to protect yourself from hackers, malware, and viruses. Visit KeepKey.com to order your secure hardware wallet today and use the code HUMANIST10 for a limited time 10% discount. And I also have a Patreon, and on that people pay me money, you know, for food or cheese or saltines or whatever, but you know what? I don't want your filthy nation-state fiat. I would, however, take your five-star reviews, though. Um, So, if you like the show, please rate it on iTunes or Google Play or whatever. Uh, I really would appreciate it. Okay, thank you. So, in today's episode, I chat with Richard Burton, the CEO of Balance. We chat about three primary things. The first is chat about the wallet that they're building and get his founder's perspective on the crypto wallets ecosystem, how they're looking to differentiate through their UX and the financial ecosystem, kind of tailoring it for Dharma, DYDX, etc. We also chat a little bit about the wallet connect standard that they're helping with. Um, and then we move on to the smart contract ecosystem and we mostly just hate on things. Um, you know, we hate on ES for a bit. We talk about some ETH minimalism and why the ETH ecosystem is bad at capital allocation. Um, and at a high level, we, we chat about how one can actually signal to noise on smart contract protocols more generally and the key point here that richard makes is that you can't make a judgment unless you're curious first and and get texture first so uh, and then our final third point here is we chat about the scarcity mindset and it's something that richard and i have both gone through to some limited extent um, and we chat about how uh, we and crypto can help so with that enjoy today's episode Hello, everyone. My name is Reese Lindmark, and you're listening to another episode of Creating a Humanist Blockchain Future. And in this podcast, we take a systems thinking approach to doing good in the world. We have a couple different series that focus on different system scopes. And today we're focusing on Series A, Macro Systems, where we ask the question, where are we as humanity headed? And we're also going to chat a little bit about the technology system, Series C, where we ask the question, how is our digital world built? Um, and to talk about both those things, I'm very happy to introduce Richard Burton to the show. Richard is the CEO and the co-founder of Balance, a cryptocurrency wallet and he also spent short amounts of time at stripe and ethereum so richard thanks for being on the show and welcome yeah thanks so much for having me excited to chat um so let's start richard with um balance on the balance side of things we're going to expand in scope kind of over time in the course of this episode but starting with balance what is balance it's another cryptocurrency wallet why do we need another cryptocurrency wallet <laughs> so tell us about balance yeah, sure. Um, yeah, we started Balance initially as a side project uh, to build personal finance tools. Um, and it was uh, built on um, an API called Plaid. And we worked on that for a year. Um, and, uh, and then uh, the data that Plaid was being fed got changed a fair bit and kind of shifted beneath us. And the product really wasn't working very well. Um, and so we, uh, we um, then Ethereum kind of went crazy and uh, we got sucked back down the rabbit hole and uh, kind of came out uh, thinking that there would be some room for some some different products to work with some of these new protocols coming out. Um, we tried building several different things um, over the last year and have now set a, settled down on um, a focus on a really great wallet experience for Ethereum, ERC20 tokens, um, and Bitcoin will be the next uh, uh, protocol we support. Uh, and cool. I think that what separates us from, from many of the different wallet projects out there is our, our, our kind of focus on the user experience and interacting with dApps 
is something that's led us to some really interesting places. And I think we've got some unique ideas about how interactions with distributed applications should work and also about how to present data and information to people that in ways that I think are slightly more palatable than some of the other options out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. I like, I mean, so two pieces there. We'll talk a little bit more about the UX side of things um, as a differentiator when we talk about the the Wallet Connect kind of protocol project that you're working on. Um, yeah. But uh, before that, I want to ask you just for me as a person, um, and on the show, we've talked some about kind of lean processes and looking at markets and determining risk and determining where customer pain is and what the kind of stuff that you'd like to work on is. Tell me more about your process that you went through, um, you and your team, when you're like, okay, we know we want to enter into this kind of crypto Ethereum ecosystem and you kind of started ex- experimenting with different things. What was that experiment pre- experimentation process like and how did you end up with um, choosing to do a wallet? Yeah, initially we had this kind of tool that showed you all of your money. And so we thought kind of adding support for lots of exchanges to this tool that sits in your max menu bar would be really cool. And, and it was kind of good and like people liked it. Um, but, but, but then we kind of realized, well, actually, you shouldn't really be keeping any money on exchanges. So building a tool that helps people see all of their money on the exchanges is like a bad idea. And also encourages, it was really a tool that ended up for being kind of uh, part-time speculators. And I myself am not a speculator, so I didn't really have any empathy for that kind of customer. And so I've got to say that in, in kind of February, March of this year, we really hadn't found product market fit. And the company, quite frankly, wasn't, wasn't functioning well. Um, and so we went from being like a distributed team to having um, you know, all of us in one place. We went from writing uh, Mac and iOS apps in Swift to doing everything in React. We went from closed source to open source. We went from not talking to customers to kind of sharing screenshots before we'd even made a product on Twitter all the time. Um, and, and, and really, the company has now turned around and it feels like uh, rather than the wind in our, uh, kind of in our face, it's, it feels like the wind's at our back and, and that we're making things that people seem to like using. Um, and so it has been a, a, like a year of when we began the year, uh, like last year, we began kind of set out saying we know that design is needed in the space. And now I think we have a really clear picture of, of what products we want to design and what we want to ship. Yeah, I love that. I think so there's kind of two pieces there. One is the kind of founder market fit, which is saying, hey, um, we want to A, be in kind of the uh, the cryptocurrency world and B, we want to be working on something where like design, where we have to optimize for design. And if you're working on, so it's like, it makes sense that like you as a founder wouldn't want to just build like like deep infrastructure for protocols or whatever. So different people have, and if you're a person who's getting into the cryptocurrency world listening to this, you got to check your founder market fit first before you check product market fit. And then after you do that, then you start to check your product market fit as you're talking about here. It's like, look, and I think the crypto world, you know, has this traditional issue with like, nah, we're just going to build the dope stuff and then like people will want it um, because it should be true. And it's like, no, no, no. And you switched around saying, let's talk to our customers as quickly as possible. What other pain points? How can we prototype things with them and then kind of start to go from there? So yeah. I think that 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 process is one that everybody essentially needs to go through um, as they're starting to build something. Yeah. And, and in terms of founder market fit, I think I'm just fortunate because I stumbled across Ethereum in 2014 and actually did some design for the group of people that became the kind of foundation um, and who before even the token sale for Ethereum. Um, and so, you know, I'd been thinking about what is Ethereum useful for on and off for, for kind of better part of four years now. And, and I, I now I have a set of answers that I'm happy with. And we're designing products around that that we want to ship to millions and ideally eventually billions of people. 
Yep, yep, that's cool. So tell me more about this, uh, the UX side that you talked about earlier. Um, that is connected in my mind to this kind of, as we as we go deeper and as we kind of create protocols or standards for all the things, then, um, and as lots of the data exists in kind of a open sourcey kind of way, then the thing that people will be able to differentiate on is the UX. Um, and in addition to you guys concentrating on the UX, you're also concentrating on building out some of these standards. So could you talk about this new Wallet Connect standard? I really, I, I know very little about it. So kind of yeah. uh, bring me from the high level and tell me what it is. Yeah, sure. So um, for people who may not be familiar with how you interact with distributed applications on Ethereum, today the most popular tool for doing that is a, is a wonderful uh, project called MetaMask, which is a Chrome extension um, or a browser extension that also works with several other browsers. And, and so if you, uh, say, for example, wish to uh, interact with a DAP or a distributed application and record some part of that information to the Ethereum blockchain, you kind of click a button um, on this DAP and then the Chrome extension will pop up and you will confirm the transaction in MetaMask. And, and so this is how people participate in ICOs or they buy CryptoKitties or they kind of uh, play games or any of these things that they need to install this Chrome extension to make, make things work. And, and this is really what got us from zero to one. This is like the first step towards a kind of world where you're not only interacting with the internet, but you're interacting with a kind of open economic protocol as well. Uh, and this Chrome extension or browser extension kind of ties it all together. Um, but we found, um, you know, talking to relatively new users, that this is a pretty confusing experience um, because many people aren't even conscious that you can download something called a Chrome extension. And then the idea of putting money into it and then using that to interact with Web3 and kind of linking that to the Ethereum blockchain, like just in general, there's like a lot of mental models to leap through. Um, but something that people are more familiar with uh, are kind of doing a transaction with their online bank and then confirming it on their phone. And so mm -hmm. one of our one of our the engineers at Balance, uh, um, uh, Pedro, um, who's now focused on this entirely uh, as its own project, uh, he came up with this idea of Wallet Connect. And Wallet Connect is relatively simple on the surface. Um, it, it's uh, recreating a similar uh, user flow to WhatsApp. So if you've ever used WhatsApp on the web, and anyone can do that by going to web.whatsapp.com, you don't log into it with a username or password. You simply scan a QR code with your phone, and then it connects you to the web app. Uh, and then it's kind of routed to your phone to make all of the messages go through and be encrypted. Um, and, and this is a really great user experience, and it's one that's extremely prevalent in Asia, where people use things like uh, WhatsApp and uh, WeChat to log into web-based applications using their phone. And we felt that this would be a really great model for um, how people could inter interact with distributed applications as well. Um, and so Wallet Connect, uh, you can think of it almost like Bluetooth, where we want every distributed application to work with kind of every crypto-based wallet. Um, and the user experience is where you kind of go to the web-based app, uh, select Wallet Connect on your phone, scan a QR code, and then anytime you want to make a transaction or some, do some kind of financial or, or kind of blockchain-based interaction with Ethereum, you're confirming it on your phone rather than confirming it on a Chrome extension. And we found that this user experience is something that people are a lot more comfortable with. Um, and, and we decided to break it out into its own kind of nonprofit, its own standard. And we've reached agreements with several wallet providers and several of the biggest apps to integrate this, as well as getting a grant from the Ethereum Foundation, which has been really amazing. Hmm, got it. Yeah, so it's a... Uh... 
So first, I love the the thing you said about even even getting a Chrome extension is like step one, you know, and like right. and that can be tough. Um, and then as you go deeper, I mean, it is funny also this like the 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 flow that you talked about of going to web.whatsapp.com, scanning a QR code with your phone, and then using you know WhatsApp through your phone or whatever. It sounds like a funny um, it's a funny thing for me coming from you know the United States, but as you say, it's like in in China so many people have done this um and is it and and as you've done through some of your user testing or whatever you've also found that once people get used to the flow it's good um so the standard tell me more about the standard in terms of from kind of a technical perspective it sounds like it's essentially a standard kind of api for connecting any wallet the kind of apis that a wallet might want to do with um any kind of blockchain like any cryptocurrency is that is that right those are the two sides of that equation yeah, so the main focus is on passing Ethereum transactions backwards and forwards in an encrypted way between the DAP on, on the web and, and on your desktop and your phone. Mm, but it's going it. to expand in several ways to kind of basically provide a set of open source tools for developers of distributed applications to integrate with a kind of any, any kind of protocol that, that wants to support the standard, any wallet, and then um, uh, and, and really just help DAP developers stop repeating the work they're already doing um, to integrate with it with everything um, and then eventually there will be kind of mobile to mobile um, apis as well so people who are doing um, iphone apps but don't want to have to recreate all the wallet infrastructure um, they can simply kind of search for the phone and see what other wallets the person has installed and, and kind of pass transactions backwards and forwards between those um, so it's really a, a set of tools to make uh, developers lives a lot easier and customers lives a lot easier um, and just massively improve the user experience, um, which begins with kind of a QR code login running on the Ethereum blockchain, but loads, sorry, uh, running on a server, but linking to the Ethereum blockchain, but loads more things are coming down the pipeline. And, and Pedro, the leader of that project, is doing a really fantastic job. We're really impressed with, with how he's, he's going about it. Nice. That's good. Is he is and so and if if I understand correctly, it is rather a is a standard for connecting the kind of the web based app to your phone app. Is that right? That's the primary yeah, piece. To begin right with, now? Yeah, and to so begin with and just later using, uh, stuff, yeah, but that's the, the first exactly right. Yeah. And people can use it now actually by uh, we we have a test flight open for, for the balance app. And if you go to mm-hmm. our Twitter handle, you can see details of how to try that out. Um, it's just balance underscore IO on Twitter and uh, we've got it all listed there. Um, cool. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I think that the, it's also beautiful to, to see the people like the Ethereum foundation fund this kind of stuff because like, look, this is just a standard and like to make a standard, it's, you're not going to make money off a standard or it's harder to make money off a standard. And so we should have people yeah. like foundations funding this kind of stuff. I agree. Um, and uh, we, we, we were going to call it balance connect for about one afternoon. And then we realized, look, there's nothing hard about this. We don't want it to be a kind of uh, a profit center for balance or something we try and shoehorn into lots of dApps. What we wanted was for it to enable a bunch of interactions and for it to be more like Bluetooth, where, where people kind of uh, have a set of expectations every time they see that Bluetooth icon. Yeah, yeah. Does anybody own Bluetooth? <laughs> Do you know? um, I believe that it's a conglomerate. I mean, it's just it's become like an industry body, like a nonprofit um, mm-hmm. in Switzerland that a bunch of people um, are on the technical steering committee of. 
So it's become one of these standards, I think. Uh, yeah, as, as far yeah. as I've been looking into the history of it. But there's no like yeah Bluetooth ink or whatever, or maybe or there doesn't yeah it doesn't it's not like yeah, a, there's, yeah there's a body yeah. to which I believe a lot of industry participants pay into to exactly. kind of make this thing work. But it's exactly. and that's exactly how we hope Wallet Connect will play out, where yeah. um, where as as it becomes a more and more important important piece of infrastructure for not just Ethereum but several other protocols and and in your know, thousands of DApps and ideally dozens of wallets. Um, th- there should be a really interesting kind of collaborative effort around user experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so kind of take, going more specifically to you all in, in, in balance, um, thinking about the, the, the competitive landscape right now of uh, wallets, Coinbase just acquired, uh, or Coinbase just acquired Cypher Browser recently. Um, yeah. And was, I think Binance just acquired Trust Wallet. Um, how do you, does that, do these things worry you or do you, how do you see your own future? future kind of in the space yeah i mean first of all uh, i'm unemployable so uh, an acquisition isn't an option for me um okay. i've just uh, never succeeded um as an employee and uh, and uh, i don't know whether i can to be honest um uh, and so so unfortunately that's just not really an option for us um uh, and so it doesn't phase me at all uh, or, or is it something that i would focus on mm-hmm. um and so given that, that either the company is going to die or survive, um, here's how I hope that we survive. And that is by focusing on financial services on top of Ethereum and other protocols. Um, I think that I don't want Balance to, to, to really focus on being a generalist DAP browser right now because I think that the quality of DAPs is incredibly low and the utility of them, nearly all of them, is, is incredibly low. I, I personally do not open a single DAP browser on my phone on a regular basis. Yeah. I've not met anyone else who does, apart from if they're really curious to try things. Um, you know, Every time I open these things, it's, it's to opt in to try out other pieces of software. Yeah. It's never because I actually am getting any utility from it. And so I've been thinking really carefully, and so have we as a team, about what distributed applications actually make sense given that we have slow, trustworthy computing that's very expensive um, and very kind of uh, unstoppable. Uh, that, that is a kind of computer that we've never had before. And the kind of applications that make sense to me are things like debt, um, exchange, insurance, um, and, uh, and a couple of other financial applications. And basically, the kind of core functions of banking are usually all about slowness, correctness, trust, and, uh, and precision and finance. And those are the kinds of things where transaction fees of a few dollars don't matter at all. And so we actually view Balance less as a, less as a kind of wallet provider among the kind of throng of hundreds of wallets and actually trying to build out open source banking infrastructure at the user interface level. Uh, and so we want to tie together protocols like Dharma for lending, Bloom for credit scoring, uh, Nexus Mutual for insuring, and One Protocol for staking and earning interest, um, as well as DYDX for margins, and, and bring all of that together into a fantastic user interface where people can basically do all of their banking through a protocol. Uh, but it looks essentially the same to them, and it just happens to be running on some of these new, this new open economic infrastructure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. I think, and and as you say, it makes sense to say what you know. What does slow, trustworthy computing? What do those constraints allow you to optimize for? And something like these financial primitives uh, seem like a great answer there. So and it's also great to see those financial primitives are some of the things. There's kind of two things that have uh, traction within the kind of uh, within the Ethereum uh, transaction ecosystem. And one of those is like zero X and things built on top of zero X, like DYDX and uh, Dharma. And then the other thing is the kind of crypto kitty side, aka FOMO three D. Um, and so, yeah. uh, it's yeah. good. It, it's, you have to kind of choose one. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh. And I think it's um, really interesting to see all the experimentation with these fun games and, and lotteries, and, and that's exciting. But you know, I, I've lived a few, a couple of years of my life with significant credit card debt, and it really was awful. So I, I am very interested in how, if you reduce the cost to offering financial services massively, that that hugely increases competition and should eventually bring the banks to either compete or, or die. Um, and I don't want to destroy all banks. I just want to see them get some serious competition from this open economic infrastructure. Yeah, exactly. That's something I think that people don't get in general about the crypto ecosystem is that it's not like we want, you know, Bitcoin or Ether or whatever to be these the only money that exists in the world. No, we just want to make a market for money itself. And it's not like we want to take uh, yes. all the banks and make them move away. No, we just want to make a market for banking itself. And then, yeah, if they, if they outcompete us in that market, fine. If they outcompete us, however, by being centralized, trusted institutions that are rent seeking, that's we're not OK with that. Cryptocurrency is vibrant and exciting, but it's not without its share of bad actors. Exchanges and personal accounts can get hacked, computers can be infected with malware. Left unprotected, your digital wealth is up for grabs. Don't let yourself be a victim. Keepy is the safest and simplest way to protect your Bitcoin, Ether, Litecoin, and other tokenized assets. This hardware wallet is a separate device that you control. Brought to you by the pioneering team at Shapeshift, KeepKey works with the wallet software on your computer to manage your private keys and transactions. Your device is pen protected, which provides protection if it falls into the wrong hands. Its large display lets you carefully view and approve every transaction. And if your KeepKey is ever lost or stolen, you can safely recover your device without compromising its private keys. The bottom line, you'll sleep easier knowing that your digital wealth is safe and secure. Visit KeepKey.com to order yours today and use the code HUMANIST10 for a limited time 10% discount. Um, so kind of exactly. taking that and kind of zooming zooming out with that in mind, um, let's talk about kind of smart contract platforms more generally and um, and the kind of battle that's happening there. And I think you're kind of a, a well-known outspoken critic of someone like EOS who raised, you know, like three or four billion. I think they have an additional billion or whatever from Peter Thiel and company, um, Peter Thiel. Uh, so, and, so tell me, how, how do you think about the, and to be clear to our listeners, this is a, a company, a single company that has raised in a Citrian ICO between yeah three to four billion dollars it has gone into their coffers and then um and right now they don't really have that much to show for it but maybe they're they're they are building something so like how do you think about the kind of ethics and morality there of raising that much money and then and then uh and then trying to push that out to the ecosystem yeah i mean it's just really disappointing because I actually think that um, technically uh, doing a distributed proof of stake protocol that kind of uh, tries to slide the uh, the dial between decentralization, scalability, and security in an interesting yeah. way is, is a great experiment. And I'd love to see that happen with somewhere between kind of 50 to $100 million of capital because I think that's a, a very difficult thing to pull off. And I think it could be done for, uh, with that sum of money. Um, but the, the way in which EOS has been begun and continued to operate is just absolutely terrible. And it's sad to me because it's really obvious to all insiders and we all laugh, but it's really not obvious to new people to the space who are just really upset that they missed out on Ethereum and are looking for that next huge gain. You know, I'd like to remind everyone that Bitcoin raised nothing to get their protocol off the ground. Ethereum raised 16 million, which promptly dropped to eight because Bitcoin halved in value. And they got to a V1 with, with that capital. And so 
you know, it's not true that you need lots of capital to deploy software. If that was true, then we'd have a lot more great software in the world. It's usually <laughs> about creating, you know, assembling a great team of people, getting them extremely focused and, and creating a great culture around your project and engaging well with the community. And then EOS is the opposite of that. They've got absolutely terrible people who only need a cursory Google to find out about some of their checkered pasts. They've got a distributed team who are really unfocused, who are writing this thing in an archaic language. They've got a founder who's clearly you know, ex- experienced extreme bullying at school and has several mental health issues. And, and then they've just, uh, just got very kind of very strange, dark culture and have admitted on podcasts that they run all the mon- money as revenue through the Caymans and that their legal agreements say that they have no obligation to continue to work on the EOS software whatsoever because they're scared of what is exactly happening right now which is the SEC is coming down on them like a ton of bricks. And, and I, I just think that, um, you know, that is not the, ex- the kind of right uh, set of ingredients for the experiment that EOS wishes to run, which is what it, would it look like to do a kind of a- Amazon speed kind of distributed data center that has some kind of voting control on the people running the data centers. I actually think that's a fascinating experiment, but it does not need billions of dollars of capital and absolutely incompetent generals at the helm of those war chests. So I think it will fail miserably and will be one of the kind of pets.com of our industry. Yeah, yeah, wow. So that's uh, that's pretty brutal, all things considered. And and I I, I must say, I mean, my my instinct is to agree with most of it. Um, I do agree with you also to say to 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 you're not arguing with them. I think I think you do a good job of saying, hey, I'm not arguing with you all about your about your goal level. You know, the goal of creating, yeah. um, you know, a, a, using delegated proof of stake to create this kind of you know, instead of government grade censorship, platform grade censorship. Um, that that could make a lot of sense, you know. And I'm happy to I'd support a project for, for that, whatever, you know. And like, you know, maybe you need 50 million, maybe you need 100, maybe at the extreme case you might need 250 million or whatever. Um, but probably not three billion or whatever. Um, and so you you don't disagree at the goal level, and it's just at the execution level um what are they yeah. doing um, yeah because i'm not smart enough to kind of understand the, the the computer science or the or the the deep technical kind of uh nuances of all of these things <laughs> nor can i kind of judge the engineering or any of that but i can absolutely judge the way the people conduct themselves both publicly and privately uh, and i can judge the way in which the, they engage the community i can judge their horrendous website their lack of a voting interface the terrible wallets and just about everything else that's you know readily available for anyone with any level of experience to see um and uh, yeah i just find it all lacking yeah 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 that makes sense um so let me so let's let's uh so I think there's two places to go with this. Let's actually go to this direction for a second. So are there other smart contract platforms besides ETH that you're like, ooh, um, this feels good, you know, something like Definity or what have you? Yeah, I mean, I've been very open that um, having met the teams behind Definity and Cosmos, I'm excited to see them run those experiments. I think yeah. in both cases, uh, each team has a very different culture and a different way of doing things. I don't hold any of their tokens, but we may well kind of uh, build on those platforms. So you know, just to disclose any bias there. But, you know, I've met this, the kind of leaders of those projects and the top technical talent, and and they just strike me as, as true missionaries doing things for the right reasons. And they've raised, you know, considerable sums of capital, but absolutely not in the billions. Uh, and they're, they're going after it, and they're incredibly focused. So, you know, uh, I mean, everyone has a lot to prove if they're going to um, 
challenge ETH in different ways. And we actually can't even know for half a decade whether any of those platforms is a success or not. But we can say that the kind of ingredients of those projects are much more encouraging to me than anything else I've seen, and uh, certainly than EOS. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Is there a, so kind of abstracting away from EOS for a second and thinking about, so let's pretend that there's a new um, a new smart contract platform that's showing up and you're like, okay, this is a new smart contract platform. Are they good? Are they bad? You're trying to do signal to noise within the, the ecosystem. Um, how do you do signal to noise on them? And, or how do you determine if it's like, if it's a good project? Um, and especially from kind of the, 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 you know, from a, We'll, we'll, let's ignore for a second, actually, the the technical question. So let's say, okay, Vitalik and 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 you know, it's just Satoshi and all the homies. They say this is good. This seems like it could work. Um, and let's also ignore from like maybe the execution perspective, where you're like, oh, they actually and they also seem to be executing on this really well. Um, from from the from kind of like like the moral ethical perspective, I guess is what I'm trying to get at here. Like, how would you yeah. how would, how would you decide whether they were quote unquote good <laughs> you know yeah i mean a, a couple of ways uh, that i assess people is um first of all i really try and watch every single talk they've given because i get so much signal from their body language the way they speak um the way in which they present what they're doing the kind of hopes and dreams and the way they describe it and also whether they've been on any podcasts i listen to those and then if they're kind of active on twitter i'll just read every tweet they've written and then also every single tweet that they like um, which is, can be quite a mission, but I find really helps me load a lot of their thinking into my brain. Um, and then I'll just scour the web for everything they've written online, whether it's blogs or um, forum posts or everything like that. Um, and, and this helps me build up a very strong picture of who they are. I mean, people leave p- prolific kind of open source software people, uh, which is also just like a prerequisite. They generally leave an enormous digital footprint. And it's just your job to kind of go retrace, retrace those steps and, and like figure that out. Um, and uh and then and then i guess uh, it, it kind of you are looking for that founder market fit a little bit i mean with, when it comes to dom um, the leader of dfinity uh, and jay kwan the leader of, of cosmos you know they've been interested in how to do not just smart contracts but actually computation on a blockchain for, for the better part of kind of four to five years they've been posting about this you know this isn't like they jumped in on the ico bandwagon last year this has been like a problem they've been noodling on for, for, for better part of half a decade. So, so has so, Dan Larimer, arguably, you know, with yes, the- absolutely, absolutely. But but the, 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 there we kind of go to the way in which he interacts with the community, which is hyper aggressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way in, the amount of money he's raised, the people he's associated with, the fact he's running it through the Caymans, um, that he's hiding all of his operations in the U.S. I mean, uh, again, it's not to say that that, that just the, the length of time in the industry is enough, but. If you're trying to assess founder market fit, I think that, that I begin there and then start to look at the kind of execution and what they have and have not done and what they're promising. Yep, yep, I like that. I think I think the thing that I most agree with there. Well, so at a high level, the thing that we're dealing with here is a very difficult question, which is in this world of like where we want to be, you know, pluralistic, where we want to say, "Hey, ETH is really good," um, and something like Definity could also be good, or Cosmos could also be good. Um, but at some point in time, you have to say, "Well, some things there are lots of different things and lots of different perspectives and lots of different stuff." But some of them we must make value judgments about. How do you do that? Yeah. How do you have coherent yeah. pluralism? It's very hard. Um, and I think that you're 
the first thing that you said is just the super key, which is like, hey, if you have instincts one way or the other way, the first thing that you do, like you say, is just to get lots of texture to kind of be curious first, to read yeah. up a bunch of stuff, to get all the information. And only from then can you actually decide um, how to do things. But if you if you don't start by getting lots and lots of texture, then you're failing, even if you're later yeah. down kind of um, value and judgments always- are good. I've always done this because, you know, whether it's a company or a protocol, it always reflects the people who made it. I mean, you know, you look at Apple's products that reflects the culture of that company where they, they obsess over these objects. Um, and and, and that, that occurs, you know, I remember when I was uh, getting ready for my interview to Stripe, I just read everything that every single one of their employees had written online and watched all the videos of Patrick and John. And it was just absolutely clear that they were on an absolute, you know, incredible warpath to show people how financial technology should be packaged and, and displayed to businesses. And now it's very clear to the world that they're doing that. But it, but it was crystal clear to me kind of in 2012 that that was what the, the mission they were on. And, and so I think the, similar, the same is true for all of these projects in crypto where, where it, it's easy to assess whether people jumped on the bandwagon or they have finally, they've been working on this problem for a while and then this blockchain-related technology allows them to solve it. So it's, it's, it's kind of a very different, different flow, I would guess. Yep, yep, that makes sense. Um, so, so thinking about something like uh, Ethereum, I think, I mean, you and I are both probably pretty bullish on Ethereum, all things considered. Um, and, and, and you can kind of pro- think about the future and say like, wow, I mean, the Ethereum community and that whole situation there, it's like the amount of, you know, good devs that they have building on top of it. And also the good amount of good devs building on the, in the protocol. It's like, it's pretty crazy. Um, what in your mind though, are you like, Ooh, here are the things that Ethereum is not doing well, whether it's at the protocol level or at the foundation level or at the, at the general ecosystem level, what are you kind of either worried about or, or don't like about the community? Yeah. So yeah, happy to focus on the natives. Um, I think it's terrible at capital allocation. Um, so, um, uh, the foundation itself massively underpays developers. Um, all of the grants programs, um, are run by people who are well-intentioned, but kind of too scared to actually deploy capital quickly and, and kind of with any level of risk. Um, I mean, uh, just absolutely everyone encouraged us to apply for their various grant programs and then, uh, you know, kind of promptly gave us excuses or rejections or delays as to why they wouldn't support, you know, a, a, an open source wallet developer building entirely on Ethereum. Um, and so there's a really, uh, there's, an ir- there's an irony to a project that's trying to unseat the gatekeepers, but then locks up a ton of this capital behind a bunch of gatekeepers who are incapable of deploying it um, and, and are not willing to kind of send it, not just to my project, but to to, to any any project out there um and so i think that a a, a protocol like D, um uh decred where 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 capital allocation is built into the system mm-hmm. you know absolutely in the long term could do much better by just paying developers it's not that we all want to be rich or we want millions of dollars or anything like that it's just we want enough money to to kind of continue focusing on the project uh and, and we're in a much better place than many other engineers i know who are basically broke having work on worked on these things you know and 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 so I think it's it's sad to see us create hundreds of billions of dollars of internet money and then let so few of it, so so little of it out into meaningful, useful infrastructure projects. So that's one way in which the Ethereum ecosystem could really suffer, I think, in the near future, because a lot of money is flowing into other places and it's being run by people who are a lot quicker and a lot faster. And um, that's that's yeah. a serious issue. Yeah, yeah. I think that that is uh, pretty, um, pretty powerful and pretty true. I think that there's a... 
There's a couple of different ways to think about that. The first is that we have um, these these kind of grant programs, something like the Ethereum Community Fund. I think it's so awesome. It's a bunch of these different projects it's in the a space. Great blog post, but yeah, then great if you blog. Talk to anyone who's actually tried to interact with these things, it's terrible. Yeah, yeah. They 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 have it's a it's a great thing in that you have a bunch of different people from the ecosystem all recognizing, oh, we have enough money. Let's you know let's um let's you know pull it together and then fund infrastructure together. And it's difficult because then you have all these different people trying to uh, a it was created not that long ago. B it was um uh the, the, you have a bunch of different stakeholders there and it's tough uh then to fund things with all these different stakeholders um and as you say i think there's a, a difference in i think the ethereum community has a kind of i mean if you if you if you watch the edcon video where um you know vitalik and aya and crew um where they danced with the the honey badgers on stage and did the snake or whatever like we kind of we like to to have our weirdness and our inclusivity and stuff and and as a result of that we're kind of missing maybe some of the mercenary mind mindset that people like Definity might have more of where they're just going to be like, no, boom, we need to have an awesome, quick capital allocation system that funds the most efficient things and go, go, go. Yeah. And I think that ETH might have kind well, of a culture issue there. Well, it's yeah, because it's all okay for them because they've been holding ETH since it was 33 cents, which is, you know, a bucket I'm in as well. Um, but like, and that's actually one of Ethereum's strengths is, it, is that although it is bad at capital allocation, because it started with such a low network value and then rose so enormously, you know, I think it was like 3,000x at peak, um, it essentially gave uh, 100,000 nerds at least a million dollars. And I think that's pretty amazing. I don't think there's ever been something like that in history. But the flip side of that is that usually when you create that much capital, it's from people who actually have learned to interact with other people or deploy capital. And so yeah. we've just handed you know, billions and billions of dollars to a bunch of crypto nerds. And I think that's really cool. And we're seeing lots of wild, wonderful things come out. But we're also seeing uh, them struggling to deal with kind of operations and management and uh, how to actually allocate funds correctly. And they have no appreciation, I think, for just how difficult it is to generate a return in the real world. Um, and um, yeah, again, this is not to say that I'm, I'm down on Ethereum at all. I think it's a wonderful ecosystem. But if you ask me to focus on the negatives, um, it, you know, for, for projects that don't wish to shill a shit coin and, and do some crappy token sale, and are also struggling to kind of uh, reason with the venture capital community and their kind of extremely mercenary mindset. Uh, and there's several projects I know that are like that. Um, I have to say that there's slim pickings for ways to kind of raise capital. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's a serious concern um, and certainly makes us more interested in working uh, on other things where we can raise a sensible amount of money, move forward and, and get things done. Yep, yep, that makes sense. Yeah, I like the imagining, like, you know, imagining the person in middle school or high school who was like the uber nerd in your class and, and he or she is just like ends up just like with a bunch your money and they like don't know what to do with it versus mm. the person in your like you know middle or high school that was like you know super aggressive type a was really good at organizing people you know was the class yeah. president or whatever <laughs> like it's really good that like oh who's gonna win between those two? Oh yeah i mean it's classic i mean i remember coming back in 2014 and raving about ethereum to everyone and thought i was nuts yeah. and no one ever ignored me and now you know those same people are kind of messaging me for token tips so it's hilarious yeah, yeah. um so is there so thinking about kind of zooming way back here then and thinking about just how how technology changes as our kind of our final question here um you know from more of like a philosophical perspective um and and you can kind of go you can go wherever you want with this uh you talking about either why for you your deep why for why you're in here or in general the current ways that you're thinking about how tech changes society and what we what we need these days um give me a, a your your hot philosophical take yeah um I can definitely speak to myself personally uh, that 
um, I spent much of the last 10 years looking for something I really wanted to do um, and was drawn to the kind of startup world for quite some time um, and then had the pleasure of seeing um, a true startup at work. You know, I was just kind of wandered through Stripe when they were kind of around 25 people um, and it was growing you know, precipitously every week. And, and then there I saw what happens when you have true product market fit and kind of got addicted to that and also kind of built up this mental model of what an alien founder and an amazing team of Jedi can actually get done. Uh, and the second time I saw that was Ethereum and I kind of helped out there for a bit. Um, but, but it was struggled because I've been invested in a whole bunch of really risky things and went into quite severe credit card debt whilst I was waiting for some of those investments to pay off. And that was when I started to experience what it's actually like to be poor. And it is so stressful. Like, I didn't realize how stressful it was until Vitalik sent me the ETH I was owed for, um, for the work I'd done for the project back in the day. And I went, I think, uh, from being in debt to the banks to kind of almost being in debt to the protocol, Ethereum. Mm. And, and so having, I, I feel lucky to have had this experience of like true financial stress, like real pain where it was like, uh, it was eating away at my mental cycles and I didn't really realize until I was out of it. Um, and this is something that really speaks to me now is, is, is just the number of people, if you look at the data of just the number of people who have huge amounts of debt, I think that in a, a century we'll look back on this period and think, why did we live like this? I mean, we look back a century ago and we say, isn't it awful that slaves uh, were, were common? And now I think, well, actually, at least slaves had zero. You know, many people exist today and all their hopes and dreams get crushed by the fact that they've got to pay off some kind of database. Um, now, I don't know of any specific way in which you can change that, but I do know that, uh, that, that more competition in, in markets leads to better services for people. And I believe there hasn't been serious competition for money or serious competition for debt um, in the last kind of uh, 30 years, really, because the number of people that can start banks or the number of people that can issue financial services is extremely small. But that just got flipped in its head in the last kind of year or so uh, and with the work of, of Bitcoin 10 years ago, where anyone can fire up a financial service. And right now, those financial services like Dharma and, and ZeroX and Nexus Mutual and Bloom and uh, DYDX, they're all kind of esoteric smart contracts running in the corner of Ethereum on this little distributed computing network but that are very slow and hard to use and expensive. But if you notice, that's what technology is always good at changing, is making things fast, easier to use, and cheap. And when we have financial services that are fast, easy to use, cheap, and unstoppable, delivered through global satellite internet to Android phones that no government regulator can touch or, or, kind, of, or kind of interfere with, I think we have a very, very interesting world where there'll be a, a kind of rich array of financial services that people can access that are developed by programmers who are ethical and, uh, and there will be ways in which you can sort out the scams from the, from the, from the, from the, uh, the, the truly wonderful projects. Uh, and eventually we'll have things like a mortgage protocol and a student debt protocol and a system that's designed to actually allocate capital for food correctly. And like all of these things will, I think, exist in, in some form or another. And of course, you'll have large centralizers like Coinbase hoovering up a lot of the capital and talent and, and, and you're essentially becoming the Facebook of the interchain. But what I'm excited about is to see serious competition for the creation of money and debt so that fewer people experience what I did. Um, and it isn't about necessarily becoming rich. It's just about, I, I remember the feeling where I went from having kind of $50,000 of credit card debt to just having one year in the bank. 
uh, in cash. And I just thought, this is fantastic. I mean, I, I really can do whatever I want for the next six months, and I've got a great buffer. And I believe that if more people had just a little bit of buffer, they would be a lot more relaxed and, and actually think a lot more clearly. And I think that, to me, sounds like a humanist blockchain future. And also, it's not sci-fi. I think it's happening right now. Boom. Yeah, I agree with all, so many things you said there. Um, I think that the... So for me personally, um, I've had an experience like that myself as well. It was at the end of last year, essentially, I was running, just running out of money, you know, and and as I was running out of money and I had, you know, uh, I never went into debt. I had, you know, three months, two months, one month of, uh, of runway left. And at that time, as you say, it just, it creates this this feeling of scarcity within you where like all the things become scarce. My, my relationships worsen my my mental health worsened my physical health worsened everything worsened um and all of this this scarcity mindset there's this really book really good book called scarcity um and people have done uh studies with people on this and yeah you can just mm-hmm. see man the scarcity mindset is really really brutal um and and it we can quote unquote blame people for like making bad decisions in a scarcity mindset but it's like no 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 wait a second <laughs> you know like they had yeah. this kind of this veil on top of them that made it almost impossible to do so um and i think that the the other piece here is, and something that I'm excited to see is, is I think that, like you're saying, there's both being able to create markets for um, money itself and be able to kind of do debt in new ways and and, and make it so that uh, we have like more fair systems or what have you. I also think that there's just a piece here. It's like, as people, um, as we can create magic internet money, um, we can distribute that money it, 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 knowing that we all have abundance now. And so um, the, my example here is like you have about 750 million people who are living in extreme poverty and those people um, uh, recently I just gave 360 bucks uh, to support someone's year of universal universal basic income uh, or basic Maybe. income yeah and it was, it was 360 bucks just so cheap and it was like it took nothing away from me and what did it do it did all the things that you're talking about which is helped them have a long-term mindset which we want all humans to have and release them from their scarcity trap you know and it's like so i think that yeah as a transition from scarcity to abundance is, is where we're at <laughs> so yeah, with that a concrete example on that for balance we want to start offering student loans on dharma to people doing programming courses yeah because we yeah. think people who are learning about, about open source code using open source tools and getting an open source loan running on an open source protocol are likely to never want to interact with the closed source financial system again yep. so you know this isn't sci-fi stuff this is happening now and we're going to do our best to bring it into the future as quickly bring it to the present as quickly as possible and uh and uh and so i think that we can all dream about how things might play out in the decades to come but it's also important to stay grounded into what you can do this week and in the next couple of months yeah exactly yep agree uh my one of my old mentors called that startup vertigo where you think about the awesome future that you want to build and then get brought back down to reality um so with that uh richard how can people find you on twitter yeah, um, my Twitter handle is Rick Burton. It's R I C B U R T O N. And please feel free to direct message me anytime. Uh, my DMs are wide open. Yeah. And if you'd like to try out all our products, uh, you go to the website balance.io. Boom. Yeah. So if you're a person who's either looking to build on top of this open source uh, system, go to balance.io or ping Richard. Or if you're someone who's looking to um, try out some of these new uh, a new cryptocurrency wallet, um, then then try out Balance. So with that, thank you so much, uh, Richard, for coming on the show. Um, and if you want to support me, listeners, by the way, on Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash Mark. That's patreon.com slash R-H-Y-S-L-I-N-D-M-A-R-K. Okay, great. Thanks, everybody. And goodbye. Cheers.